0: This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by FreshBooks. Tax time will soon be upon us. Why not get your year off to a good start and get all of your accounting sorted in one place? On average, FreshBooks saves users up to 192 hours per year. Imagine what you could do with that time. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial for listeners of Oppo. Just go to freshbooks.com slash Oppo and enter Oppo in the How Did You Hear About Us section.
1: Oppo is the best political podcast that mattress money can buy. We're brought to you by Endy, the 100% Canadian-made mattress. Endy offers a 100-night trial with free returns so you can test your mattress in the comfort of your home instead of some kind of horrible big-box showroom floor. Go to endy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any mattress.
0: From Canada land, this is OPPO <laughs> Hi, Justin. Hi, Jen. Now, fans of the show might be fond of a recurring segment on Oppo that we like to call, Where the Fuck is the NDP? (music) Well, Jen, the news is, this week, we found them. Jugmeet Singh is on the show.
1: Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jugmeet Singh actually came on Oppo. Things really aren't going terribly well for the NDP.
0: Counterpoint: we had to talk about actual policy with Jugmeet, from drugs to deficits to the housing crisis. Well,
1: I think we got him off script a little bit. Anyway, stay tuned. So I've been a freelancer for a year now, and I can tell you that one of the biggest burdens that any freelancer has is having more time in the day, week, or month to actually grow your business. It always seems like the day-to-day tasks of having your own business take up way too much time, and the work that you actually want to do gets put on the back burner. Accounting tasks are a giant time suck. They might not be that difficult, but sorting through boxes of receipts and massive spreadsheets takes valuable time away from growing your business. Well, that's where FreshBooks comes in. On average, FreshBooks accounting software saves users up to 192 hours a year because it makes taking care of your books so much easier. I use it myself. I love it. It's fantastic. That's 192 hours spent on networking, sales calls, training, or anything else that you haven't had time for. The beauty of FreshBooks is there's really no learning curve, so you can jump right in and start organizing your books in a flash. And also, by the way, my accountant loves it. We're offering a 30-day trial of FreshBooks to all of our listeners. It's a really, really great deal, and you should check it out. Go to freshbooks.com oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section.
0: All right. Well, let's dive right in. Jugmeat, we have less time than we thought. We originally uh, had booked you for 30 minutes, and then your staff found out that we weren't Jesse Brown. So now we're down to 10 minutes.
2: <laughs> That's rough, eh? I
0: know. How was... often
2: does that happen? Not often at all, actually. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> this is... And I
1: also got to be honest with you. Like, Why would you even pick Jesse Brown over us anyway? We're definitely way more fun. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Are you
2: cooler, though? I think mm.
1: so. So, uh, Mr. Singh, I get to be the uh, the bad cop, as always, here. So I'm going to start off with the hard question. And that is, of course, you're in Burnaby South right now. Right. But the NDP, we all know, is dealing with taking fundraising numbers. You're at like 17% in the polls. You seem to be losing MPs staff left, right, and center. And now you have, you know, your the former leader, Thomas Mulcair, coming out and saying that if you don't win this by-election, that you should resign as leader. So I have to ask you... Have you kind of screwed the pooch as leader of the NDP?
2: Well, there was times when if the party was pulling at 17, we'd be throwing parties. We'd be throwing out a festival. Things are, you know, I'm not worried about the political, my personal political futures or the political future of our party. I've always been focused in on how we make life better for people. And right now, if you look at the future for Canadians... That's something that actually gets me worried. I mean, people are telling me more and more every time I knock on people's doors how they're feeling squeezed, how they're feeling like they were promised a lot of change and things would get better, but they've not really seen any of those promises materialize into real concrete action in their lives. And nothing, instead of that, they've seen timid things by this liberal government. And so folks are really my focus, and I want to talk about things like how we can solve the housing crisis instead of telling people to wait for another Federal election before there 's action on it, I want to actually start solving those problems now,
1: but how are you going to uh, how are we going to make things better for people if you don 't win or if you can 't uh, increase your seat count or make significant gains on any of these metrics?
2: Well, on winning i 'm confident we'll do well in Burnaby south i've received a lot of support and, and the love is strong, but more importantly. Folks have got three options in this election. They got the conservatives who are largely to blame for many of the problems that people are faced with. Like they're the ones that didn't invest in housing and that's part of the reason why we're in this housing crisis. We've seen inaction on the part of the liberals to deal with the things that people are are dealing with right now, the problems that they're faced with. I've spoken to families that talk about the struggles they have with affording medication and the fact that there is a study on the cost of drug prices as an offer to solve that problem. So you've got the liberals telling people to wait. You've got conservatives who basically don't care about the problems that the people in Burnaby South are faced with. And you've got us, New Democrats, who are in people's corners saying, we're going to fight. We're going to stand up in the House and say, where is the medication for all program? Instead of, you're not going to hear conservatives say that. You're not going to hear conservatives get up and say, hey, we need to uh, solve the housing crisis. And a backbench liberal is not going to actually solve that problem either. So when it comes to the things that people care about, we're the ones in people's corner, and I'm confident we'll win.
0: Well, I mean, you can be confident, but the reality is you're going to have a mid-February election date, probably one of the worst times of the year to have a by-election. It's been dragging on for months because the PM has actually called the by-election date until just quite recently, and it's not even your home riding. You know, you're not from Burnaby. I mean, if you don't win this, what's next? I mean, are you going to run somewhere else? I mean, what would your future look like if you don't win this riding? Because really, it's kind of up in the air. It's a dog's breakfast. You're running against both a liberal and a conservative.
2: You might not win. You know, we're not entertaining the idea of not winning because people are counting on us. I mean, people are depending on us. People need us. I know how much they need us. I know how much they need us to stand up for them. They don't feel like people are in their corner. People tell me again and again when I go to the door, it's like, there's no one else talking about the housing crisis. I remember this family, I came to their door and I said, hey, how's it going? And they said, we're struggling with housing. And I looked around, they had this beautiful home, and I didn't know how to broach the subject. And they saw me looking around and say, no, no, not for us, but for our kids. And I imagine they might have had kids graduating from university. And she's like, actually, let me call up my daughter. Her daughter turned out to be a teacher who'd been working for a couple of years as a teacher. And she said, I can never imagine owning a home in the city I grew up in. And there is no one else that's going to be in the corner of those folks calling that out. So I know people are depending on us. I'm confident we're going to win if we put in the hard work and we're putting in that hard work in.
1: So, Jimmy, I've actually I grew up in Burnaby. Oh, cool. spent most of my a lot of my childhood in there. And, you know, I'm one of those people who can never go home again. I can't live anywhere close to my family because of what's happened to the housing crisis in, in Burnaby and in the lower mainland. But I got to be honest with you, like, I have a sense of how big the housing crisis is. And, you know, a couple hundred, even a couple thousand um, affordable housing units or subsidized housing units ain't going to fix no housing crisis in the lower mainland. So can you give us some substantive concrete things that you're planning to do to actually address that housing crisis in a systemic way?
2: Yeah, there's two things that I'm proposing. One is immediately investing in cooperative housing and non-market housing. Uh, any other solution is not going to be as direct and as as concrete in people's lives. If we actually invest in cooperative housing in a massive way, the way the federal government used to do, that is a, an immediate solution for many people to be able to get into the housing market. Uh, non-market housing is another way that we can help out folks. And finally, we need to look at speculation because the problem is only going to grow if we don't attack a speculation. The federal level, there's been no real steps to tackle speculation. And that's where we need to put some of our our tools that we have at our disposal at the federal level and tackle how we can get at those costs that are rising so unsustainably and get them to a, a more sustainable level.
1: That speculation, though, is also what's driven up a lot of wealth for boomers, especially and my parents, especially. So if you want to hit speculation and actually do it in a way that's going to bring down housing prices, you're going to undermine a lot of the established wealth of people who are older than us.
0: And just quickly, I mean, you know, what can the federal government do in terms of speculation? Obviously, cities can impose speculation taxes, as we've seen Vancouver, British Columbia do. What is the federal government's power there?
2: Well, we've got a lot of tools in our taxation system. What we need to do is see how we can mirror some of the uh, the steps that have been brought in by the NDP and some of the steps that have been brought in by Vancouver. Uh, some of them won't apply, but there's many things we can do with our taxation system. if We can bring in the experts and say, well, how do we mirror? are some of these steps? And how do we get at a uh, real speculation? Because there's there's two different things going on. There's some folks that are just you know, dumping money into a home and, and never living in it. And there's some families that own their own home and that have, that have seen some of the value go up. There's, there's a way to actually walk this line where we get at the problem without harming folks uh, in a collateral way. There is a way to do this. I'm confident we can do it. But we need to have the, the wherewithal and the will to do it. Right now, there has been no expression of will at the federal level to even tackle this problem. I'm saying that this is something we have to do.
0: So a lot of the big conversations on the federal level, whether we're talking about NAFTA, the closure of GM, even the, you know, the back and forth with the Saudi government over their human rights record, we've seen a lot of back and forth between the liberals and the conservatives. Your party has been a bit marginalized in that conversation. Now, you, know, you can blame the media, you can blame uh, whoever. How are you planning on kind of breaking that logjam and actually getting into the conversation in 2019? What do you need to do differently to actually get you know, the NDP's point of view in that conversation?
2: Well, we're going to tell people our point of view, when it comes to things like the arms deal, I've been loud and clear saying that we need to cancel that deal. There's no way that we can sell arms to a country that has such a human rights track record, such a horrible humans track record that has uh, been implicated in the murder of a journalist that was critical of the country. In all these circumstances, if there's ever a chance for us to not go ahead with an arms deal, it would be this example. There's no other example that could be as clear and as overt. We've You've got Germany that's not only canceled any current but is also committed to not doing any further deals with uh, Saudi Arabia in the future I mean this is an example where we need to do it on all these fronts our focus again has got to be we're the ones that are going to talk about things like uh, medication coverage for all when when I met with kids in Burnaby that talked about type 1 diabetes they were lobbying uh, politicians on type 1 diabetes these are kids dealing with life or death illness and I asked them what it, what it's like and they talked to me about you know controlling the blood sugar and all these different things and I said, well, what's that like? And they said, well, we're not worried about our own lives and, and what we have to do in terms of injections. This is like an 11-year-old kid. He's like, I'm worried about how much it costs my parents. And for that kid, the and the liberal study on drug prices is not going to make his life better. The conservatives are not going to talk about this. It's up to us to talk about it. And that's why what we talk about is so important because – we're the ones that in the corner of everyday folks.
0: To a real blunt, though, I mean, you know, Pharmacare was part of Tom Mulcair's election platform. You know, the Saudi arms deal has been something the NDP have talked about for a while. I mean... What's different? I mean, you, some of these things you've been campaigning on for several elections in, in a row now, what's different?
2: Some things take time. I mean, it takes time for folks to hear a message that connects with them, uh, that something that resonates with them. I think in the past, we haven't done the best job of, of making sure that people see the impact in their own lives. And so, even talking about PharmaCare as PharmaCare, I don't know if that really connects with folks. But when I say, a kid who is dealing with type 1 diabetes is worried about how much his medication costs and we're the only country in the world that has universal health care that covers health care but doesn't include medication costs. We need to do that. It'll save money for businesses. It would actually make people's lives better. It would reduce the costs that people incur. It would make life more affordable. Uh, I'm confident we can actually connect with people if we talk about it the right way.
1: Yeah, I just want to ask, uh, going back to the Saudi question, I mean, obviously we should cancel this arms deal with Saudi. So 3,000 jobs be damned then?
2: There's a a better use for those vehicles and I'm sure we can find a better use for them. There's there's many contracts that we have not filled at the federal level. There's much equipment that uh, is outdated and needs to be replaced. So there's many different ways that we can look at solving that problem. But the starting point has to be we can't be selling it to Saudi. There's just no way.
1: So I mean if if I look over the last year I mean what are the major files that you know I've been talking about every week on on power and politics what are the major files that the country's been talking about and I you know I get things like nafta I get the gm plant closure in ottawa pipeline politics immigration you know, it ain't National Pharmacare. And it's it's great to talk about National Pharmacare. I mean, obviously, this is a longstanding NDP platform. But if you want to get in the media and if you want to get people's attention, if you want to get noticed, you have to go to where they are. And to some extent, it seems like since you've taken over as leaders of the NDP, you're not talking about the stuff that we're talking about. You're not going to where people are in order to get attention on for NDP issues I, mean, I don't even know what the NDP uh, position on NAFTA is I don't I don't know what the NDP position on the GM closure is I don't know what your position is on on immigration so like I'm just kind of giving you that opportunity I can tell you let's, I can tell, tell you tell my position on well, all those tell things me real, right now if like, you like real fast but like totally tell me
2: <laughs> yeah yeah well NAFTA I think uh we we got a worse deal than before we think it's completely absurd to sign a deal with a country when we still have illegal trade tariffs on our steel and aluminum. We made it clear that there's no way we should be signing that deal without getting rid of illegal trade tariffs from the same country. How do you enter in a trade agreement with a country while you still have illegal tariffs from the very same country? That's just mind-boggling. We've said that very clearly. GM closure. We, I was in Oshawa and spoke with the workers. And right now we put out a tweet just earlier today that we've got a massive plant closure, which is going to mean indirect and direct combined over 24,000 jobs, something like a billion dollars that we're going to lose in revenue. And we've given billions of dollars to this company for just for them to just walk away. We need our federal government to step up and actually have a conversation with GM and say, hey, where is our federal government talking to the to the company about solutions to keep this company here? Where are we at in terms of saying this is unacceptable that you can take public money from us and then walk away? Uh, we've called on the government to do more to defend the jobs of these workers and not give up on them.
0: I, I'm hearing you. Like I, I hear that the NDP, you know, doesn't love the new NAFTA deal. I hear the NDP obviously wants more done to stop the GM closure. But you know, what concrete there? You know, I and you know, I, I think Jen's being very cute when she says she has no idea what the NDP position is. But the reality is, in specifics, I don't know what the NDP would get different out of a NAFTA deal if we were an NDP government. I don't know, you know, beyond having more conversations, what the NDP would do different to keep the GM plant here. Is that subsidies? Is that nationalization? Is that new partnerships? Is you know, what are the specifics here? Because I think. People hear you when you say, we don't like the GM closure, we don't like the NAFTA deal. What would you do differently?
2: Well, the concrete thing is, one specific thing we could do different on NAFTA is, we said very clearly, you have an opportunity to end these illegal trade tariffs. You've got illegal tariffs on steel and aluminum. Uh, At a starting point, why are we signing an agreement when there is still illegal trade tariffs from the very same country? Because we don't have any Uh, choice. We don't have any
1: leverage, right?
2: We do. We can say we're not going to sign it. Get rid of those illegal tariffs that we know are going to be challenged and overturned in court. Get rid of them. And they were placed as a bargaining tool in the first place. We could say we're not going to sign this. It was never put forward. I never heard any announcement where Trudeau said we're not going to sign this agreement until Trump gets rid of those tariffs. And that was never put out. We never heard anything about that. That would have been a concrete thing we could have done differently. On GM, where is Trudeau? Is he speaking with GM? Is he meeting with them? Is he doing anything? The first thing we heard, both the Ford government, we heard the Ford government and the Trudeau government both say, okay, this is a done deal. It's over. The big difference is we wouldn't give up without a fight.
0: Can I ask you really, like, really honestly, how do you think you'd get along with Trump? And I'm not being cute. I mean, quite genuinely, <laughs> do you think
2: he would be cool with you? I don't know, man. I mean, at the end of the day, my focus would be on how, how could I get the best deal for Canada? So I wouldn't be concerned about uh, if he likes me or not. I'd be like, all right, how can I use the leverage that we have to get the best deal possible for Canada and not back down just because he's blustering? Plus, I wouldn't get pulled around because I know jujitsu.
1: Also, I'm really <laughs> disinclined to cut the, the uh, liberal government any slack because what fun is that? But like... Do we imagine that they didn't think of that? Like, just not signing NAFTA until the steel and aluminum tariffs are signed? Like, do we imagine that that wasn't an option that they didn't consider? And overrule for obvious reasons. I mean, like, like, is it really that simple?
2: I think on this point it is. I mean, there's other things that are more complicated. You know, I, I criticize the fact that they compromised on supply management. I, I criticize the fact that they allowed our drug prices to go up. And those things might be more complex. I can give that. And it might take more negotiation to get to that point. But it's pretty basic. You're signing an agreement with a country, there's a trade agreement with a country, and that very same country has illegal tariffs against you. You would think, the time, the best time to deal with the illegal tariffs. Hey, we're about to sign a trade agreement. But before we sign this trade agreement, there's these looming tariffs that you still have on us on a specific issue that you imposed just at the eve of our negotiations on this trade deal. Maybe we can get rid of it before we actually sign the agreement. Would sound like a very reasonable step, at least to put it out there that you're trying to do that. The fact that they didn't seems to me like a massive blunder.
1: With that, we're going to take a break and go to our sponsors.
2: Oppo
0: is supported in part by Endy, the leading online sleep brand in Canada. Endy is transparent about its sourcing, materials, manufacturing, and its design. Everything used to make the Endy mattress is sourced within Canada. By keeping manufacturing local, Endy can avoid duties, currency exchanges, and international shipping, keeping prices as fair as possible for their Canadian consumers. Endy's quality is second to none, and its pricing is even better. With a smaller price tag than its competitors, their mattresses cost between $675 and $950 Canadian. That means even the largest mattress, a California king, costs less than 1000 bucks. You simply can't find that kind of quality-to-price ratio anywhere else. Endy bypasses traditional brick-and-mortar retail and focuses on a seamless online shopping experience that's both simple and convenient. Go to endy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Endy mattress. All right, Jugmeat, let's go forward looking into some new policy stuff. I want to throw some stuff at you. You tell me how you want to focus on the issue going forward drug decriminalization you and me have talked before about your position which is basically that all drugs should be decriminalized i mean yes are you are you hearing this on the doorstep is this something that's freaking people out or are people like yeah it's about time
2: well experts it's a, it's a non-contentious issue everyone knows that the the war on drugs doesn't work and that it doesn't actually make people's lives better it doesn't reduce consumption it doesn't actually make society safer so the experts are all there all the folks who've looked at the evidence are like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to continue to criminalize folks that are either addicted or dealing with mental health issues or poor. It's actually a waste of our resources to continually put the same folks back in jail for them to then rescind anyways because they they are addicted, right? So that's a, a, non, a non-contentious non issue amongst experts. Everyday folks really care about the opioid crisis. Like People are at the point now where they know someone in their life, uh, whether it's direct or indirect, they know someone because there's... Something like 3,000 Canadians dying as a result of this crisis every year. People know someone or have heard of someone very close to them that have died, and so they care about it, and they want to hear some, some solutions. And this is a bold solution. We've seen other countries implement a similar model. Portugal has implemented the Portugal model, and it has worked. It has reduced deaths. It has saved lives. It has reduced the use of horrible substances. So it works, and I'd like to see us do it.
0: Kind of a related topic, sex work. Uh, you know, the federal government said, the Liberal Party said they were going to find a way to decriminalize prostitution or at least change the law to get rid of the Harper Era laws around prostitution. They haven't done it. It seems that they're not going to do it. The NDP has been kind of quiet on this for a while. Do you have any particular thoughts about what you would do as prime minister in terms of uh, sex work legislation?
2: Yeah, I would implement the uh, Supreme Court uh, decision, which is we should not have laws that make an activity more dangerous, and, and that's what we have right now. We have laws that make something more dangerous to do it. You can do it, the way to do it, the most legal way is to do it the most dangerous way. That makes no sense. That was the, the Supreme Court uh, decision's ruling, and I would support that and make sure that our laws are in line with that principle, that we shouldn't be making something more dangerous to do and that is the, the legal way to do it is the most dangerous way to do it. That's just uh, unfounded and, and it doesn't make any sense.
1: So we're talking decriminalization then.
2: Well, there are the specific changes to, to body house rules, to security rules, to the ability to have someone give you um, personal protection. Uh, those changes were recommended by the Supreme Court because the current laws make it more dangerous to be able to do the, the work that folks do. They are doing this work anyways, and the current laws make it more dangerous. I don't think it makes any sense for us to have laws that make something more dangerous. That should not be the way our laws work.
1: So the obvious transition from sex work is into child care, which is where I'm going to go next. And I'd like to ask you sort of, sort of, well, what's your stance on uh, child care, national, chi- uh, national child national care program?
2: Yeah, we need national child care program. No question. Uh, child tax credits are a drop in the bucket to the cost that families incur. They're spending thousands of dollars a month. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense to go to work. Many times it doesn't make sense for, for one of the parents to work. It gets so costly to have childcare. Uh, we're losing out on the contribution of women in our society. As a result, it would be a massive step forward to addressing uh, income inequality. It just there's so many arguments for it. And instead of giving Uh, small tax credits, if we pool our resources, we can come up with a social program that lifts so many people out of a difficult position. So yeah, I'm all in on childcare. It should be universal, publicly delivered. I'm in it.
1: Um, Obviously, this is one of my big bugbears. Uh, You're in BC, which has just run a referendum that categorically rejected any kind of serious electoral reform. Uh, The liberals have now also stepped back from electoral reform, which gives me some hope that maybe we cannot talk about electoral reform for another 20 years. But hey, oh. but, hey, oh. but hey, but hey, I want to ask you, uh, if you uh, are the next prime minister, are we going to have to bash our heads through another wall about uh, proportional representation or the single transferable goddamn ballot?
2: I do believe in proportional <laughs> representation. I think it's a more democratic way to represent people's voice in parliament. It's worked in so many jurisdictions around the world. I was disappointed by the results in BC, absolutely. I still think it's a, a better way to give power to people. And my focus has always been how do I give people? more power, more of a voice? How do you make people feel like their vote matters and their say matters? And I think the current first-past-the-post system is inadequate. So I believe in a proportional system, and I'm hoping to convince folks.
0: Do the BC results tell you that you should have a referendum or not? I mean, what, is it, what do they tell you? That you know, this was a, a bad strategy or that you just
2: have to work oh, harder? Oh, we're just going
1: to gonna completely change the electoral reform without a referendum.
2: No, no, I think you need you need people's buy-in. You need a referendum. But I think the problem is is that it was done in a very complicated matter, They should have started with, do we want uh, to change to a proportional representation? You know, yes or no. And then once there is a consensus around that, then move to what system folks would like. I think by putting them both together, it confused the situation in a way that made it difficult to move ahead.
1: So yes, so I'm hearing, yes, you would like to make another run at this windmill.
2: I would, I would (laughs) like to make another run at it, It's a worthwhile windmill, Jen, leave it alone.
1: It's not, it's a terrible windmill.
0: (laughs) So your predecessor ran his last election campaign saying, we're gonna balance the budget, deficit spending is bad, you know, we'll go after offshore, you know, bank accounts and whatever to pay for our election promises. Not a lot of people thought it was credible, I don't think. I mean, the the prime minister ran and said, listen, we're gonna spend it in a deficit because that's the only way we're gonna pay for all this stuff, and we'll also hike taxes on the rich, and here's how we're gonna do it. Did you learn anything from that? I mean, you know, looking at how that last campaign went, do you think there's room for you to say, A, we're gonna spend it in a deficit, and or B, we're gonna hike taxes on rich people and it's going to pay for all your social services. I mean, are you going to change your strategy going in the next campaign around your fiscal policy?
2: C, A, and B, <laughs> if any <laughs> folks are following that. Uh, yeah, A and B for sure. I, I think one, we... But the thing is, I, there's a difference here. I wouldn't deficit fund... Uh, a $14 billion tax cut to the wealthiest corporations, which is what this Liberal government just did in the fall economic statement. No strings attached, $14 billion to corporations. That I would not deficit fund. That is a bad move. That is wrong. Uh, but I would deficit fund things like looking at things like national so, uh, social programs. So I would look at programs that we could fund through deficit funding, which would be investments like medication coverage for all, like a daycare program. Uh, there's things that we would, we would be able to lift people up. We would actually see a return on our investment. And I would definitely do that on taxing the rich. Yeah, we've got to make sure those who are the the wealthiest and able to contribute the most contribute uh, a fair share. There, there's a way to do that. There was a time that our taxation system was set up where there was 50 percent of the responsibility on individuals and 50 percent of the responsibility was on corporations. Now that balance has shifted particularly with that 14 billion dollar giveaway so that 80% of the burden is on individuals and only 20% is on corporations that as has shown the erosion of a justice or a just equitable taxation system
1: well i mean it's it's all fine and good for us to talk about sort of a rise in corporate income taxes that, that that's an easy sell for an electorate the problem is that we're no longer operating in a world where we don't have to take into consideration other jurisdictions income tax rates i mean we're we're competing with other jurisdictions For that business, which is now more mobile than it's ever been in human history. And now, you know, if we have a 50% corporate tax rate on some of these um, corporations and businesses, they can very easily just, you know, take off and go to other jurisdictions. So, like, you know, it's not that I disagree with you. It's not that I think that you're wrong to point out that there's a justice issue there. It's just that justice doesn't really matter when you're talking about a globally competitive market on this regard.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've got to take in consideration the global competitiveness, but there's so much that we offer. We offer a stable government. We offer uh, abundant national resources. We've got a universal healthcare system. We've got a highly educated workforce. There's a lot of competitive things that we have that give us an advantage, which justify us having um, more progressive taxation system when it comes to, to corporations, but also the wealthy. I and mean, we've got to look at the, the fact that, you know, a handful of families in our country own the combined wealth of three provinces. I mean, there's a massive question of income inequality in our society that's not getting any better. If you look at it globally, eight human beings own the combined wealth of 3.5 billion human beings. There's something fatally flawed with our system if that's the outcome that it's produced. And we've got to do something about it.
0: Jugmeet, thank you so much for coming on. We, you stayed for longer than 10 minutes, so we got to appreciate that. Uh, no problem. <laughs> have fun in Burnaby, and maybe we'll thank chat you. if and when you win.
2: When I win, when I win.
0: So there you have it to all other federal leaders. Uh, you've now seen what it's like for a leader to come on and do oppo. It's not so bad. We're not that bad. Just come on. We're not that just bad. Just come on and do it. Just come on. Andrew Scheer, Maxine Bernier, we're, we're Justin it. Trudeau, even Liz May. I'll have Elizabeth May on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We should call Elizabeth May. Oh, yeah, we should... and, if, and if they don't come on, we should get like a little chicken a little chicken sound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: We don't need to find a chicken sound. You just, you just made a perfect <laughs> one. All right, Jen. That's it for Oppo. We'll be back in two weeks. Get in touch with us at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast to let us know what you think.
1: Commons continues its look at corruption in Canada. The past week, the only person in Canada to have ever been convicted of insider trading is on the show, and apparently it
0: is a doozy. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Candleland Media, our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and theme music by Nathan Burley.
1: I have the last word this week, and that word is demotion.
0: Yeah, so Jen, I assume you've already seen Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould was pushed out of her job on Monday. David Lametti is the new Justice Minister, and all I can say is Oppo gets action. We called it. We called it, Jen. Well, you did. I mean, we can talk about this a lot more in the future, Jen. But for now, I want to hear the Prime Minister try to explain how firing her isn't really firing her, and that it's kind of in some ways a lateral move, which is honestly a nice try at the Spin PM.
1: I believe many women have heard this before.
2: I, I would uh, uh, caution uh, anyone who thinks that serving our veterans uh, and making sure they get the uh, care to which they are so justly entitled uh, from, this, from uh, any Canadian government uh, is anything other than a deep and awesome responsibility.